Welcome to Study Religion, the podcast produced by the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. My name is Mike Altman, and I am an associate professor here in the department. And this is the first of a series of three short podcasts that we're going to put together. And they're all answering um, the same question. And it's a, it's a, I think, really important question about when is it time to make a change? When is it a time uh, to think outside the box, to make a jump into something new? And this is something that I have a lot of conversations with undergraduates, but especially graduate students and other colleagues um, about when is it time to take your academic background, your training, in our case, in religious studies or whatever, and turn it into something new and different or something that most people wouldn't see or something that most people wouldn't under, uh, understand or think about and to make take a kind of risk. And so I wanted, uh, I had conversations with three different uh, people who have a background, academic background in religious studies who are doing three very, very different things in, in very different places than what you might expect. Um, and so the first one this uh, in this episode is talking to Tenzin Eagle, who... Um, I don't want to take the story already, but he, he made quite the jump, uh, a jump that took him halfway across the world. Tenzin, can you um, just sort of tell everyone, our, our, our listeners, sort of where you are and what you're doing right sure, now? No, sure, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I currently am living and working in Thailand. I'm uh, current position is lecturer and chair of the MA program at the College of Religious Studies, Mahadol University, uh, Bangkok. Uh, I've been here now two years working at the college, well, almost three years, but the college now for two years, two and a half years. Uh, I ended up here through various series of random events. I mean, one just like most grad students, when I was finishing my PhD in 2015, 2016 at the University of Toronto, every day on Facebook, I would see a barrage of, you know, articles about just how horrible the job market was and how detrimental, you know, how bad everything was once you finished. Then on top of that, there was all the, the gun violence in the States and there was the, the rise of uh, Donald Trump. And I was just like, I, the idea of going to the States just scares me on various levels. And then also at the same time, I was traveling. I had I kind of figured out midway through my PhD that I could travel to like South America and Africa and Asia and stay in cheap hotels and hostels and stuff while I was writing my dissertation. And in the process of that, I kind of fallen in love with Thailand and met a girl here. So when I finished, it all just kind of makes sense to move here and look for a job instead of looking in the States. And I just kind of got lucky. I, I actually didn't have any... I didn't know, well, I thought that maybe when I came here, all I would ever be able to do was just do English stuff, like teach English or teach English at a university. I had no idea if there was even a religious studies college here. And I only stumbled upon the college I'm at uh, in a random job advertisement that a friend sent me. And so it all kind of randomly came together, but it worked out well. So it's interesting. So it seems like you kind of made the decision more for your own kind of personal, what you wanted to do, <laughs> um, yes. sort of these. Th so how do you see that? I mean, there's this, I think this idea that folks have to, um, kind of give, you know, 
sacrifice isn't the right word because it almost glorifies mm -hmm. it. But there's a sense that people have to, you know, give up some sort of personal sort of freedom or personal things they want in their life in order to do academic work because of the nature of the job market and all of this. Um, but it's interesting that what when to hear you narrated that you kind of did what you what you wanted to do for a variety of reasons detached from this kind of from academics and then wound up finding an academic place in the long run yeah no that's definitely true and that's actually advice i've given to um, other phd students who are still in the west and then you know just finishing for instance uh my the girl i was dating when i was finishing my phd she's a biological anthropologist and when she got right out of school not even before she was finished because she had quite a bit of publications. She was offered a position at the University of Montreal, like tenure track. And so she was really excited and she, but she was kind of afraid because she didn't really want to live in Montreal and she didn't even speak French. So for the position, she was going to have to, well, she spoke a little bit, but she was going to have to learn how to lecture fluently in French. And so that's what she's done and it's worked out. She loves being there. But I, my advice to her at the time was, well, you know, you're so talented. You could get a job in many places. Why not ask yourself, if I could live anywhere in the world, where would I live? And her answer to that was Amsterdam. She would would love to live and work in Amsterdam. And I thought, well, why not just go there and do that? Like you could find a position. And I wonder that with a lot of academics. You know, I finished and I kind of wanted to come back to Thailand. Um, but I think, you know, there's positions all over the world. So if you find a place you love, like in South America or um, anywhere else in the world, uh, you could just go there and and kind of see what happens. I mean, there's lots of jobs doing various things that a person can do to kind of get their foot in the door and make some money and then build up and work their way into the academic system that way too. So it doesn't always have to be direct. Like I have a tenure track position, so I'm moving to, you know, China or Singapore or uh, Denver or something. It can kind of be side yeah. side route. Like you can just have kind of a position that will help pay the bills and then try to find some guest lecturing spots and weasel your way into a department. Yeah. You, um, I like the, the idea of weaseling your way into a department. Where do you, why do you think, well, it reminded me of a story that an old, um, uh, she's now retired uh, professor once told me about how she just showed up at the department office and just sort of demanded a job <laughs> and kept doing that for a number of years until they, they finally gave her some courses to teach. And then slowly, slowly she worked her way to into a tenure track job. But, um, that's one way to do it. Yeah. I guess. So yeah. Why do you think, why do you think, uh, so many early career scholars lack that kind of, I mean, what you're giving is a kind of global vision and a kind of wide openness. I think so many people feel, cornered or trapped by their PhD by the end. Um, I do think some of it has to do with commitments. I mean, I mean, I did, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't have any kids. I'm not married. So my career and life choices are wide open and especially were uh, when I first finished two years ago, three years ago. But um, a lot of people have a kid or a long-term girlfriend back in the West or something when that girlfriend or boyfriend has uh, a career of their own. So you can't just like pick up and move everybody overseas. I do think that's part of it. But then also a lot of people, and I would even put my brother uh, in this camp who's actually doing his PhD in religious studies at McGill right now, I just don't like the idea of traveling. Like they love Canada and they want to live there. 
and they don't like the idea of uh, going overseas. He's never even left um, America, I don't like North America, I don't think. Um, and not that he couldn't, he just never chose to. And I think some people, I don't know, just don't, I've always kind of been more of a global citizen in that respect. I just love traveling and going all over the place. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to do it on my own. That's also a big part of it. A lot of people are afraid to go somewhere on their own because they won't know people, but I never really have a problem meeting one or two friends or something to hang out with. So, um, so having made this kind of move out, um, out of the West and, and, and all this, how, how has it, how has it shaped your work, academic work? Like, what do you see as a relationship between your kind of geographic location and, and your kind of the, the academic work you do as it, uh, how do you, yeah, how, how do you see the effect between one on one on the other? At the moment, it hasn't affected any of the specific publications that I have coming out or uh, have written, but it will. Uh, and I say that just because, you know, as academics, we're often in a backlog mode. You know, we got a whole bunch of stuff like scheduled and planned. And uh, I've kind of had various ideas that I've been working on for a while that go back several years. But I do have a couple projects in mind going forward related to it. For instance, one of the biggest differences about teaching here is that all my students, all my BA students and grad students, they're all ESL students. So they're all English second language. So like today I was teaching a class on political ideology to 120 Thai BA students. And there's only about maybe five or six of those students that are kind of fluent-ish, right? There's, there's, a, a, there's a big swath in the middle who understand about like 80% of what I'm saying. And then there's some who struggle even to keep up with that level. And so it changes how you teach because you have to uh, introduce terms very slowly and you have to kind of build your lectures methodically upon your terminology that you're using. You know, you can't just be like, well, Martin Luther thought this and dive into some complex topics because the students will have no reference, but you'll have to be like, Martin Luther was this guy who lived here Short map of Germany, you know, sure, a year, and then build in to the concept or the thinker or whatever it is you're. So it's a, it's a, and it's a slow process. You know, you you have a, each class you'll have just a, a basic idea almost that you're trying to get across and you're trying to get them to be able to not just understand it, but read the idea and write something about that idea uh, in their own hand. I always use like worksheets, which is something I never did when I was teaching in the West because when you're working with ESL students, they need very hands-on stuff every single class so they can write down the terms and they can write down the concepts and try to develop them on their own. And I say all that just because one of the future articles I have in mind is is teaching religion as, as ESL and kind of talking about some of the methods and stuff I've developed as I've tried to work with both BA and grad students here. So you mentioned the um, the... You know the teaching article that you're working on coming up, but is it? Do you feel like, you know, I had a a, a colleague say to me one time at another, at another institution, like, you know, you can kind of work anywhere these days, um, with the idea that it really doesn't matter that institutional affiliation, in insofar as you want, you need like the kind of infrastructure of libraries and and access to journals and things, but that like, work is not so much gatekeeped by where you're working anymore. Um, do you find that the case? Um, working, you know, where you are now. Do you mean that 
when it comes to research and publication and that kind of stuff like that that the that the university facilitates or does not facilitate is that what you mean the... just that you're well no just that more like um whereas in, institutional affiliation you know where you were kind of mattered as to, to what kind of voice you got in the field i see um, but that seems to matter less and less and i was wondering as someone who's you know very far with a, with a very particular kind of space that you're working mm -hmm. out of has that uh how do you see is that shaped your ability to kind of find audiences for your work or um feel like you're connected to larger conversations in the field um it you know as, mm -hmm. what do you how do you feel about all that well i might this is this could be let me see if i can answer this one thing i've realized uh you know post finishing my dissertation and going out to the job market well not the job market but just the teaching market and the publishing market is how fortunate I am that there is such a I might say tight-knit group of critical scholars like on Facebook and the religious studies project and various projects that come out of your university the Western McCutcheon where people are often collaborating and working on publications and book projects and podcasts and it creates kind of a critical network of scholars that I think is is best and will be best if it has like you know global reach and can influence students around the world and that's beneficial that's almost been more impactful than any particular job in the sense right like uh it's it's kept me in contact with various scholars in the west whether it's with or with nasser or with the religious studies project that uh i find is a great you could say the not publishing um, just network of scholars who are all, you know, like-minded and interested in the same critical venture. I find I think that's more important than my institutional affiliation. Like being a lecturer and chair of my program here is fine, but I could probably still do the same writing if I was working at just uh, a college here teaching English or something. Like it wouldn't have to be a religious studies department per se. I could still, you know, publish the same stuff on the side and read all the same books and so I think you need the you need the university to give you the space, but what's more important is having a community of scholars that uh, like minded that you can kind of work with and do. Um... Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in some ways, a lot of things have kind of the ability to build communities um, across you know across geographic space without you know necessarily relying on everyone being in the same room all the time at conferences or whatever has become a lot yeah. easier. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the best example I would have of that is just the blog work. Like, I kind of became familiar with a lot of people throughout North America and Europe, scholars from, like, Susan Owen to uh, um, Mallory Nye and, and others, just through writing blogs and stuff, and then, you know, interacting with them and having conversations about theoretical ideas, and so that when you meet them at places like NASA or conferences, you've already known them for several years, and you have kind of this, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, and that's yeah. and that's and that's really awesome and it and it kind of it kind of it, it seeds beyond the it takes away the parochial i guess you could say limitations of just being you know supported by your by your university you have this sense that even if you were to leave this particular job and find another one there would still be that group of scholars that you could you know see at the AAR and NASA and uh, work together with yeah i mean no i think that's right I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's actually similar to my experience and I've been in the States the whole time. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, I think that works sort of regardless of what, what space you're in. 
Um, so yeah, so to kind of put a point on this, I think look when you where you are now and you 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 um, found I think a pretty good niche for yourself and building a career um, in the field. Um, and I'm curious uh, what you would looking at where you are now and where you kind of see yourself heading. What do you what have you learned from this whole? Um, you know, it may not seem like a big again. I don't know, I don't know how much it seems like a big decision to you, like a big leap or not, mm -hmm. and how much it was just the thing you wanted to do, so you did it. Yeah. Uh, I think from the outside to a lot of people, it would seem like a big leap. Mm -hmm. But what is that kind of leap? What is that kind of uh, leap taught you, or or have you learned from it about the kind of nature of navigating academic careers, the structures of the academy in the West versus people's ability to navigate them or opt out of them, or, or what have you kind of learned from this process? Uh, I think that in today's economic climate, one has to think globally. I mean, the West is no longer the center point of the world, economically even. And uh, we have to, you know, whether no matter what your humanities or social sciences degree is focused on, uh, your job applications are not limited by the West, and you should try to think globally, think about places you'd love to live, think about anywhere you could work outside of the West, and don't let the limitations of the West, whether it's political or economic, um, limit you in your you know aspirations to do whatever it is you want to do, write about whatever it is you want to write about. Because there are so many places around the world with jobs who or you know, academic positions that need teachers and need um, educators, whether it's simple English or you know, complex academic subjects like political ideology. So just don't, uh, don't let all the negative news in the world constantly get you down. You just got to kind of keep venturing out and going forward. <laughs> I like this. A challenge to just look broader and not, not yeah. be so hemmed in by what you assume is the kind of limits for your degree yeah, or for when your can, career. When, when considering a degree in the university, I think you have to think globally. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's a great place to land it. When thinking about a career, think globally. Yeah, thanks so much, Tenzin. Uh, I really no appreciate taking so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Study Religion is a production of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. For more information on our department, go to www.religion.ua.edu or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash R-E-L at U-A. Have a comment or question about the podcast? You can email us at religiousstudies at ua.edu or reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at, at studyreligion. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a comment and a rating. That helps other folks find the show and makes you a very giving person. Special thanks to Kyle Ashley, a major in our department, for his help editing the show. Our opening theme is Two Minute Warning by Stefan Kartenberg, and this closing theme is Saturday Night by Texas Radio Fish. Both are used under Creative Commons license. We'll talk to you later. Roll Tide!